Welcome to the City Hill podcast. We really hope you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about City Hill, please visit our website, cityhill.london. So the last two weeks, we've been looking at a few different areas of like science, of the universe, uh, of um, physics and all that kind of stuff. Um, Today, we're going to be continuing on in that vein. We're going to be looking at something a little bit closer to home. And then next week is going to be the final week of this particular series. So today what we're talking about is we're talking about a topic we've actually talked about before, but we're going to be looking at it in a slightly different way. So today what we're going to be talking about is we're going to be talking about DNA. So DNA coding for us, I think is actually one of the strong, strong suggestions again for intelligent design. I think DNA is so complex and so incredible that actually I think the idea of that being completely 100% random is actually slightly, extremely on on the borderline to the improbable. So last week we talked about fine-tuning of what it takes within the confines of the universe for life to exist and the fine-tuning suggests that mathematically we shouldn't even exist here as a planet because the odds are so ridiculously stacked against a planet holding life because they started off with two factors and then they ended up with 12 years ago 200 factors that were needed for a planet to sustain life in the way that ours does. I am certain it's gone much much higher than that since then which is why it's now become people are saying probable and we can't understand why we're even here. When we look at DNA I think that is then the next level for understanding and seeing that possibly the idea of this being completely random is it's, it's quite hard to find. But we're also going to look at a couple of things because what happens often is atheists look at passages in the scripture that are, in their eyes, outdated, um, a bit backwards, and used as a means to kind of discredit the underlying message of the gospel. Whereas actually there's a few things in there which Christians actually even poo-poo and shun. I remember being with a pastor a few years ago who was talking about blessings and curses, and he said to me, you don't really believe in that curses thing do you and I went yeah yeah I do and he looked what you mean like you know because of certain sins things being passed down to the third and fourth generation like he goes you know it's not really and I was like yeah I, I, I 100% believe that it's, it's in the Bible I, I believe it and he looked to me a bit like oh okay because obviously there are parts of the Bible that people kind of wash over um, and I can understand that but something as serious as that, I don't think something to be toyed with or played with. So today we're going to be looking at an area of science called epigenetics. And I saw a few different articles just very recently that sparked my interest, even though I've read about this before. The past scenario we talked about as a church when we looked at epigenetics and we talked about this same, same concept was we looked at a study that was done on the offspring and the descendants of those who'd suffered in the Holocaust and that children and grandchildren had shown signs of the same trauma as the parents, and in some cases grandparents, and that they could see it genetically within them in in their DNA, and they could see through epigenetics that this had been passed down and this had carried on through that line. And it was something that they said wouldn't necessarily be as easy to, to prove, but considering those children had never grown up in the same hostile environment or gone through the same situations and had a pretty cushy life. There was no reason they should have had the experiences that they'd had and 
And so it opened a few interesting doors that people have talked about. Today I want to look at something that isn't actually about humans, it's about rats, which I found absolutely fascinating. So this article said um, epigenetics changes may contribute to her, um, her hereditary tendencies to develop drug addictions. Male rats are more likely to develop an addiction to cocaine if their father showed a high motivation to seek cocaine, a study has shown. These findings bring further evidence that addictive behaviors may be hereditary. Multiple family twin adoption studies have shown that hereditability estimates for cocaine use disorders range from 50 to 60%. 50 to 60%. To date, this high um, heritability has been largely attributed to, but not fully explained by variations in the genome. In recent years, a growing amount of evidence has indicated that ancestral, environmental, and behavioral um, actions trigger epigenetic changes, which can lead to the development of addictive behaviors in offspring. In the study now published in the journal Animal Behavior and Neuroscience, the researchers have investigated this issue, showing that cocaine-seeking behavior is associated with epigenetic changes, which may lead and then contribute to the tendencies to develop drug addictions. I thought that was fascinating. I thought that was absolutely fascinating. So in the Bible, there were these, there was, um, in, in, in the instruction, in, in the law, it talked about curses going down to the third and the fourth generation. That there was this understanding, this overwhelming idea that actually what you do and the notion that what you do only affects you and that's just you was, was not true. And actually that your actions and can be passed down and continue down. And when we look at that, we can see that and go like, oh, God's kind of bang out of order. But on the one hand, I don't think it's something that God actively does. I think it's God actively knows how our body works and how reproduction works and how the whole system works. And that he's warning saying, well, hey, you want to head this way? Well, you need to be careful because this is the effect. This is where this goes. This isn't just about you. There's a bigger narrative. There's a bigger story. There's a family. There are actions and there are things that we need to be aware of and we need to focus on. So I want to think about for a second, what's in a name? So this is our identity. So when we talk about DNA and we talk about the genome, what we're talking about is our identity. When we're talking about epigenetics and we're seeing that behaviors can be written within our DNA and within our coding, within our, ge our genome, what that tells us is that the, we have an active ability to choose who we're going to be and actually we have an active ability to choose certain things that we're going to pass on. And actually, maybe our track record, hands up for me, hasn't been too great in certain areas, but actually I can now actively pursue what behaviors I want to build intentionally as the culture for my family and what things I want to pass on to my children. So what's in a name? So we look at a guy like Jacob. Now Jacob was, his name means heel grabber because he came out of the womb holding on to his brother's heel. He was trying to take from his brother. He spends his whole life wrestling with people, stealing them, conning them. And he robs his brother. The wrestling match doesn't end when they come out of the womb. He robs his brother's entire identity and life. He takes his life blessing that his father gives and meant to give to him, uh, the firstborn. But Jacob steals it. He puts skin on it, uh, extra hair on his body from animals, makes it smell like his brother so that his dad, who's losing his sight in his old age, blesses him instead. He steals his whole way of life. He's this kind of wrestling dodgy guy, but he has a, a moment which defines his entire existence 
he has a moment where he wrestles with God. He has a moment where he wrestles with an angel. And this angel and him are wrestling all through the night. And there's this moment where the angel dislocates his hip, which is in UFC, the end of the fight. As soon as a, a leg or a body part is dislocated, the fight doesn't continue, you've lost. This guy has a dislocated hip and it's the end of the fight really. And the angel's going, let go of me. And he's going, I won't let go until you bless me. I won't let go of you. I will wrestle with you until I get the blessing. I will wrestle with you until I get what I'm pursuing. The same way he wrestled with his brother. He wrestled for the blessing. He's wrestled for the blessing again. He's wrestling with God for his blessing. And the angel basically said, you have wrestled with man and you wrestled with God and you prevailed. Like, I look at that match and I'm like, I don't see him winning. His hip's been dislocated. But one of the greatest things that can happen in life is losing your wrestling match with God. It's not about beating God. It's about wrestling with God until you get the change within yourself that you need. And so what happens with Jacob is he wrestles with God until he experiences this transformation and he receives the name Israel. Now, Israel means one who struggles with God. I met this girl years ago, a teenager, um, while I was at work and I had to work with her off-site. She wasn't allowed on-site. I had to work with her off-site. They were supposed to provide lunch. They didn't. They said, take her to a co coffee shop. I'm like, geez, I'm like 30. I'm taking this 14-year-old girl. I was 30 at the time, not now. And I'm taking this 14-year-old girl to a coffee shop. I'm gonna look like a pedo, man. I'm either her dad or a pedo. I hope people think I'm her dad, you know what I mean? And so we're going to this coffee shop, we're sitting down, and but on our way there, we're walking along, and she'd been Snapchatting me during while working. Didn't want her to, but she, these kids will do what they want. Snapchatting, taking selfies with me in the background while I thought she was looking at the paper I'm trying to teach her, and she's typing on Snapchat, chilling with Jesus, thinking it was funny because of my hair, the beard, and all that jazz. And she was just like deading me out on this thing. Walking along the road, and she goes, Jesus, do you believe in God? Thinks that's hilarious. I said, yeah, I do, I run a church. She goes, no way. And then she goes to me, I struggle with God. And then I said, oh, me too. And then she goes, what? You run a church. If you struggle with God, everyone's screwed. And I was like, no, not really, because he called Israel, his people, one who struggles with God. That's what their name means, one who struggles with God. The idea is that you cling on to God and you struggle with him until you receive your blessing. It's not about that life is all roses. You hold on, you cling on to him until there's a change. You know what I love about it? Is you see, Jacob built this habit in his life where there's one thing Jacob got right. He never let go until he got his blessing. That's, that's, you look at the defining moments for Jacob's whole life, the whole way through, for all the troubles, for all the heartache, for all the wrongdoing, for all the dodgy stuff, for all the good stuff, doesn't matter whether he's doing good or he's doing bad, he still hold on, holds on to God until he gets his blessing and he gets it. You know what's cool about Jacob is, you see, he becomes Israel and Israel has these 12 kids. And out of these 12 kids, he has this one son that stands out to me called Joseph. And Joseph has this same trait that he's got from his father, epigenetics, because Joseph gets sold off by his brothers, he doesn't let go of God. He ends up in prison, he doesn't let go of God. When he's in the dungeon and everyone else is getting opportunities to come out, he doesn't let go of God. He holds on to God the whole way through until he's the second most powerful man in the greatest nation on earth in Egypt. He holds on to God. And then he's used to not only feed his family when they come and starvation would have killed them all, he feeds the whole nation of Egypt through how God used him. He doesn't just feed Egypt, he feeds all the surrounding nations because he never let go of God when it was tough. And he gets that from his daddy. The thing he gets is, it's about not tapping out until God taps into the situation. So for, for Jacob, for Israel, for Joseph, it's like everyone always taps out too early. Don't tap out of your situation before God taps in. 
Like Joseph had plenty of opportunities to tap out and go, I'm done with this. Screw it. I'm out of here. Don't. Don't tap out. Tap into God's grace. It's God's grace and ability that works through us. What habits are you going to start laying down for your kids? That's the question. What habits are you going to start laying down for your kids? You may not have kids yet. That's cool. Start thinking about it. What is the identity I'm going to want to pass on? Because if I'm not building it actively in my life now, forget hoping your kids turn up with that, 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 that characteristic and that attitude and that behavior. They won't. I remember my dad used to tell me stories all the time when he'd tuck me in a bed. He'd read me Bible stories and he'd also tell us testimonies of people in our family. He'd tell me of my granddad all the time who, in the war, um, a shell hit him in the heart and he was on his deathbed about to kind of die. And he said, because for them, back then, smoking was believed to send you to hell. That's how they viewed it. For me, smoking won't send you to hell. It just make you smell like you've already been. You know what I mean? Like the fire is real. The smoke is real. The stink is real. And so he was like, God, if you save me, I'll never smoke again. God healed him and he, he never smoked again. And my dad would tell me stories like that, that granddad didn't tap out. Granddad would hold on to his faith. He'd tell me that granddad had lived in a flat above a newsagent's and he managed the newsagency. It was his business. The landlord threw him out threw him out of his home and his business. A wife and three kids out of their home and their income like that. And my dad would tell me as a kid that he saw granddad on the Sunday in church putting his tithe in the offering with his hands in the air worshiping the Lord. And my dad said this to me as a kid, God looked after your granddad. And then my dad would tell me when he got made redundant, they didn't know how they were gonna pay for the home. My wife just did part-time bits of sewing work and that was it. And he lost his job and he would lay awake at night crying, going, God, I'm so scared. How am I going to provide for my family? And God said that you are worth more than many sparrows. The sparrows don't go begging. I've got them. I look after them. You're worth more to me than many sparrows. And my dad had this peace and God provided. And then my dad would turn to me and say, God provided for granddad. God took care of me and God's going to take care of you. And so I had this attitude in my life where I was like, whether things are good or whether things are bad, one of the, one of the, the habits that gets passed down to me is, Regardless of how good it is or how easy or how tough, I'm going to give. I'm going to give to God. That's something that matters to me. That's something I want my kids to get a hold of. So the law of God, the instruction of God, we see it as a law of God that's there to beat people over the head that you don't match up to this. You're not good enough. You're not this. You're not that. And that's the standard. For them, they didn't see it that way. They saw it as the instruction. So they were slaves in Egypt after Joseph. Pharaoh forgets who he is. Four or five hundred years pass. They're slaves. Moses come, Mo, Moses come, sets the people free. They've come from like being institutionalized in slavery. They need a new way to live. They don't know what to do with their lives. The law of God filled this void with this instruction, these values, these actions, these identities, because behaviors create habits which builds culture. So as a church for us, we're totally about that life. We're about values. We're about missions. So our mission is lighting up our world so that people far from God can find life in Christ. So that's our mission. That mission will never be achieved, ever. We'll achieve it constantly, but it never disappears because that's not something you stop doing. That always runs and runs and runs and runs. Our vision is next year, we want to we want to grow the church to like 100 people. That's our vision for next year. But when we look at the vision, we look at the values, and the values are all about our identity. They're about our behaviors. So when you have a value, you do it. So in football, if your value is one-touch football, you don't, don't go out there taking free touches. If your value is a certain style of business, if your value is a certain way of behaving, a certain way of speaking, and you don't do it, that's not your value. You don't believe that because you don't do it. When we talk about Christianity, the problem a lot of churches have when they talk about believing is they talk about an idea, a notion, an, a, a, a thought. 
Like, I believe this, but if it's not action, they don't believe it. You're a liar, you don't believe it. Because believe is a verb, it's a doing word. It's not the idea of I can believe an idea I don't do. That's nonsense, it doesn't make sense. And so what we have up here is we have our free values because we believe these values turn into behaviors and these behaviors will help us achieve the mission and the vision. And it was the same with the children of Israel. They had values, a, a society, a vision that God was creating for slaves to be free and to have a new way of living and leave a mark on the world, a totally unique culture that would be built. And this is our church unique culture. This is our unique vision. So for us, we believe in shining because actually you've got to glow to grow. You've got to shine in life. Every day is Sunday. So we have every day is Sunday, not because every day is Sunday, but because when we talk about Sunday, we think of the Sabbath, a day of rest. And actually you can't shine in life if you're grouchy because you've had no sleep, you've, you've worked too hard, you've not spent any time with friends or anything like that. You end up being this person that's just constantly just doing, 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 doing. That's not what it means to be alive. That's not what it means to be alive. Sabbath, Sabbath is important. It's a rhythm that brings healthy life into our lives and we really appreciate that. Shining in life is so vague, it's awesome. And the reason it's vague is because we're not here as a church to tell you this is what you do but we're saying that if you're a part of City Hill, we believe this is a value for us, that we wanna find ways in our lives that we do things that shines a light to reveal who God is. Because you can't see light, light reveals what's there. And we wanna reveal what's there to people. Inviting, we believe it's important to invite to City Hill, to invite to the party, that's our way of talking about eternal life, and invite into your life. Because as a Christian, if you're not inviting people into your life, there's no one for you to share anything good with. So the idea of just walking up to someone on the street and telling them about Jesus, I'm not saying that's a bad thing to do, I'm just saying that's not the greatest strategy to hold for your life witness. If your life witness is always engaged with people you don't know, for me that's dead. You've got to invite people into your life. Jesus invited people into his life. Invite people to the party and we invite people to be here with us at City Hill. Which brings me to next Sunday is the Sunday where people say yes. Like People will say no to you all year round. But when it comes to Christmas Eve, even the hardest pagan on the road will go, yeah, all right, I'll come. Like, I've, I've messed with one of my guys who ain't been in church for ages. And I messed him like, oh, hey, bruv, you're a pagan on road. This is the one day of the year, pagan on road, come to church, you wanna come? And he just cracked up, was like, yeah, what do I need to wear? I lied to him, I said at my church we're all naked. So if he, someone comes naked next week, uh, apologies for the eyesore, but you know, hashtag bants, gotta have it every now and then. He was trying to cuss me out like our church had to come in suits, what dead nonsense. So yeah, so for us, we're all about inviting. And then giving. So we've got a few different things. So giving your time is a priceless gift only you can give. So Nene over here is absolutely, she looks so scared I said her name. She's like, oh no, he's gonna dead me. I'm not deading you, I'm bigging you up. So Nene, she didn't like I called her Nene. All right, Naomi, cool, whatever. I'll edit out the Nene, cheese. Those eyes are actually ready to stab me if there's a knife available. So giving your gift is a gift only you can give. So there is literally only one Naomi on the entire face of this entire planet. There is one Naomi in the entire universe and she's giving her gift to come and be here early with Katrina this morning to help set up. So for us, she's just given something that's absolutely priceless. I can't get that anywhere else in the world because she's the only one of her kind and she's here. She's, and she's not giving that to me, she's giving that to God. That's an amazing, beautiful thing. And on our website, you can find out other ways you can get involved in Service City Hill. And then it talks about giving is living that we believe that giving is a way of life, that you give who you are. When you invite people into your life, you're giving to them straight away. When you're shining, you're giving people the light to be able to see a different way. There's so many ways you can give. And then lastly, bountiful giving is bountiful living. And so for us at City Hill as a church, we don't pass anything around because we don't want anyone coming for the first time 
um, feeling in an awkward scenario, and also we face in on each other. That'd be the deadest thing in the world to do giving. But it is a part of our values, and as I shared, that's a part of my family values as well. So what actions will you intentionally craft to build your family culture? Don't let culture happen to you. If you let your family culture be defined by what happens to you without deciding what you want it to be, you'll end up being something that maybe isn't necessarily what you want or even what God wants in your life. Building culture is really difficult and it's really hard, but it's the most wonderful and essential thing to do. Israel built a unique culture that set them apart from every other nation around them because God had spoken into their lives who they were gonna be. Israel received God's law and were passionate about creating it into their behavior daily to create a unique culture. And their response, this was their response to Exodus. This was their response being free from slavery. I want to end with this passage in Luke 19. Um, Luke 19 verse 1. He entered Jericho and was passing through and behold there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was seeking to see who Jesus was but on account of the crowd he could not So he because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead, he climbed up a sycamore tree to see him for he was about to pass by. And when Jesus came to the place he looked up and said, Zacchaeus hurry come down for I'm going to stay at your house today. So he hurried down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it they all grumbled. He has gone into the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. What I love about this story is, what happens in this story is you can tell he's received Jesus in a very powerful way. Because for him, he was rich, and he'd become rich by robbing the people. He was a tax collector. He would come and collect taxes for Caesar, but then he would add whatever he wanted on top. And you couldn't say no to him because he rolled deep. There were centurions that had his back. So if he came to you and said, you need to give this amount of tax, you gave that amount of tax. Caesar got his bit, and this guy got whatever he wanted. And you couldn't say no, because you said no, there'd be a centurion to come go. What are you saying, fam? And so he had all this extra money and then he realizes, you know what? I'm so rich, I've got this, I've got this all wrong. Jesus receives him and he has a whole change of heart. He has an experience where he receives God's grace and he changes completely and says, I'm giving half of all I have to the poor. And then he says, if I wrong anyone from this day forward in my job, I will give them four times the amount. Let me tell you, that isn't something that just happens to someone who's rich. They don't just switch like that. It doesn't happen. I've met rich people in church, that doesn't happen. When you encounter Jesus, he does such a wonderful thing. In the same way, the Exodus, they got that freedom from slavery. And the first thing they did on their way out was that the Egyptians were all giving them gold and giving them stuff. And they were giving them all this gold because they were like, you know what? Pharaoh's been saying no this whole time. If it was down to me, I'd be saying yes. I don't want any curses from your God anymore. I don't want any more plagues in my life. Have this. Let's be on good terms and leave. And then when these guys leave, they've got their pee up. For the first time in their lives, they got their pee up. They've been in slavery all this time. If you didn't do what they were supposed to do, you worked every single day of the week. Bricks, 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 bricks. Every single day of the week. It wasn't like Rihanna, work, 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 work. She only did six works. They did seven works. There's no days off for them. And then they finally get some pee together. When you finally get pee in your life, when you've had no pee, that's when you go, this is mine. This is protected. What do they do when they leave? Moses says, you know what? We're gonna build this to the Lord. We're gonna build the Ark of the Covenant. We're gonna build these things. We're gonna build this new culture. Everyone started giving generously to it because they realized the freedom they had and where it came from. You see, part of our identity in Christ determines what we're going to be. People that keep hold of our lives, keep hold and build up a life for us, or people that think outwards to our community and outwards to those around us. 
Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. The role of a disciple is to imitate their rabbi. The question that you and I have is for ourselves, our families, and for who we are as individuals, what is my personal culture gonna be? And what actions am I gonna choose? This is us as a church. So get involved in all of that stuff. It's really great stuff, it's good stuff. But you may wanna ask the question, because at City Hill, we're about lighting up our world. That means positioning the light that all can see as a collective and as individuals. So as a collective, we have set things we do together to position the light, but we also are individuals that have spheres of influence that only we have. And we need to be asking the question of what culture we wanna build for ourselves. I'm gonna pray for us and that'll be it for today. Father God, I thank you for your faithfulness, your grace, and your love towards us. I thank you, Lord, that actually, um, when we look at epigenetics, we don't just have to look at the things on the side of cocaine and addiction, but we can look at the positives that you want to build. Father, what is it we want to pass on to the next generation? What habits do we want to build in our families, in our communities? What habits do you want to build in this church that we just get a hold of and we push into because we know that our kids are going to follow us and the next generation will follow us and we want to pass blessings down not just the negatives we know we do things wrong we know we pass on bad vibes and bad habits and all that kind of stuff lord but we know that you want to set us free from that in the same way you set the children of israel free we know you want to set us free from the same way that zacchaeus had his life built all around getting more for him and would trample over everyone but instead you reversed his heart and he started giving into the mission of what you were doing lord i pray that you would help us be like zacchaeus and help us to be like the children of israel fresh out straight out of egypt in jesus name amen really hope you enjoyed today's message and if you'd like to find out more about City Hill please visit our website cityhill.london